as we come to God's Word. If you have a Bible that you've brought along with you, if you'd like to read with me, I'll be in Luke's Gospel in chapter 19. That's Luke chapter 19. If you're reading on your bulletin, uh, part of the text is here, just the ending section, but not the entirety of it. Um, So you'll have to just listen here at the beginning. Hear now the word of God. Uh, This is Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 28. And when he, the he there is Jesus, when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he told them. And they were untying the colt Its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, Already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. This is the word of God. Now, this here, the section we've just read, is a tipping point in Jesus' time on earth. So after three years of public ministry, this now is Jesus' final journey. He's going up to Jerusalem here, where in a few days he will be condemned and crucified. And during this short span of time, this is what many, we call, Holy Week. And Holy Week is full of holidays. So we have Maundy Thursday, 
that's coming up this Thursday where we celebrate how Jesus at the Last Supper gave the mandate or the mandi to his disciples that they should love one another as he had loved them. And then the next day would be what we now call Good Friday, the dark afternoon when the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus on the cross who stood in our place. That's the day in which Jesus said, It is finished. And Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then, three days later, there's Easter Sunday. The famous one uh, where Jesus' followers woke to find the body of Jesus was missing from the tomb. That he was alive again and hundreds would witness him. So a lot happens in this very short span of a week here. This week then begins with what we now call Palm Sunday. And that's the section that we've just read. So now as Jesus is riding into Jerusalem with what will be his final time into the city, there's these joyful shouts of Hosanna, which means save us. So Hosanna, save us in the highest. There's the victorious waving of of palm branches. And those specific details are not recorded by Luke. We see them in the other three Gospels. But Luke here still records in this event the celebration of the crowds that they're laying out, basically a red carpet of these cloaks on the road, uh, which I suppose we then could call the day Cloak Sunday, uh, but that just doesn't quite have the same ring as Palm Sunday. You know, can you imagine kids on Cloak Sunday waving around their coats and whacking each other with them? Uh, I don't know how that would go, but uh, at any rate, uh, Palm Sunday cloaks are going down, and you'll notice here, in the midst of all of this celebration, Jesus is not in the city yet. He's not in Jerusalem yet. You can see it in verse uh, 37 if you're following. It's as he drew near. It's this celebration is happening on the way down the Mount of Olives and into this city. So on this short trip into the city, there's this sort of praise parade that happens around Jesus. But... But we see a hiccup in that parade before Jesus gets into the city. In the midst of all of this party of celebration, as Jesus gets close enough to see the city of Jerusalem, something unexpected happens. Look at it in verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Jesus breaks down here and starts to weep. The Greek word for weep here, by the way, is not just, you know, a little tear running down his cheek, something that's moved, you know, compassionate but still dignified. No, this word for weep is, is what some might call an ugly cry. Jesus now has these big, heaving sobs as he comes into the city. Which, by the way, have you ever seen a man, especially, 
weep like this. This isn't to say that men shouldn't cry sometimes. We do. We should. But there is something particularly about seeing a strong man weep, sob, that almost feels like we shouldn't look, that we might turn away out of respect. So the big question for us here is, why is this happening? Why is Jesus weeping here, and what does that mean for us? So in the rest of our time here now, I want to try to wrestle with that why question. I want to give us two reasons that are not the reasons why he weeps, and one that is the reason why Jesus weeps. Two that are not, and one that is. So the first, Jesus is not weeping here because things are out of control. Jesus is not weeping because things are out of control. Everything in Luke's account here is pointing the reader and the hearer to see that everything here is happening according to plan. So if we just look at the donkey that Jesus rides, there's a lot of detail given about the preparation for that. It even takes up half of the text here that we've read. Jesus gives his directions to the disciples to go get the donkey. He even tells them to find a particular donkey that he has in mind, one that, that no one has ever sat on. And so some think, because Jesus has this in mind, that Jesus has gone into the village beforehand to arrange for this donkey, and now Jesus is just sending them to pick up what he's arranged for. You know, sort of, sort of like if you, if you call in a pizza and then uh, somebody else goes to, to get it for you. But that doesn't seem to be the case. Jesus doesn't give them the address or the house where they're going to find this donkey. He just says, you'll see it as you enter the village. Jesus doesn't give him his own name, Jesus, to tell anyone that has questions. He just says, tell him the Lord needs it. <laughs> And the donkey doesn't, you know, have a big sign on his back saying, you know, fresh donkey, never sat on. So still, even though he's very vague in the details to the disciples, they go to follow his directions, and we're told they found it just as he told them. So even though Jesus has not physically gone into the village to prepare for these things, somehow, somehow, all of the arrangements have still been made already. In other words, all of this is happening according to God's divine plan, and not a moment of it is out of his control. Matthew actually makes a point in his gospel about how the donkey is a fulfillment of prophecy um, from the prophet Isaiah about how this king would come. This is in, well, if I can turn here in the wind, in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, we're told this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey, 
And so here comes now Christ, the king, humble and on a donkey. All of this is arranged and happening according to God's divine plan. Even when the Pharisees seem to get upset about this big praise parade that's happening for Jesus and they, and they try to get Jesus to hush it up, Jesus' response is, uh, is you know, uh, verse 40. I tell you, if these people were silent, even the very stones would cry out. In other words, praise to me will come. One way or another, it will come, because none of this, not a moment, is out of control. All of this is according to God's divine plan. So, Christian, take your fears and your tears here. Know that God is in control. It is not the reason why Jesus weeps, weeps because somehow things have gotten out of hand. That's the first one, that it is not. But there's another reason that is not why he weeps. The second is it is not, he, Jesus is not weeping because hard times are coming. Jesus is not weeping because hard times are coming. Hard times are coming, but that's not the reason why Jesus weeps here. If we read the whole gospel of Luke or any of the gospels, if we read them all from beginning to end, we'll see that Jesus knows that he is headed to the cross all along. The cross is not an accident. It is not something that Jesus realizes or just discovers in the few weeks right before. In fact, we hear all the way back in Luke in chapter 9 that Jesus has set his face to go to Jerusalem. He is doing all of this on purpose. Now, while he is purposeful in this, it doesn't mean that Jesus is just, you know, skipping merrily on his way to the cross. You know, come on, guys. Let's go on to Jerusalem. This is all part of the plan. Here we go. No, Jesus knows this is coming. He's even moving toward it. But he is also aware of the profound agony that he is about to experience. The agony of the physical nails and his own death, but also the agony of experiencing the wrath of God for sin that is going to be put upon him. He knows this, and he prays to the Father to let the cup pass from him, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus knows hard times are coming. And it's not only for himself. Hard times are coming for the city of Jerusalem. History tells us that the city of Jerusalem would soon be ransacked and burned by the Roman Emperor Titus in 70 AD. And that's what Jesus is referencing here at the end in verse 43 when he says, For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground you and your children within you. Mm. 
hard times are ahead. And what really gets me about this is it's not just for you. This will happen for you and your children. And I have to wonder what the impact of these words were on the rest of the people who were in the middle of their parade. You know, it's got to be a little bit of a rain on your Palm Sunday parade to hear this. And yet, even these hard times are not, are not the reason why Jesus weeps here. Let me be as clear as I can. Jesus deeply, deeply cares about people. If we read the Gospels, we will see that Jesus is anything but callous. Jesus entered into people's sickness with healing and restoration. Jesus entered into people's storms with calming of winds and waves. Jesus even entered into their death with resurrection and hope. Jesus did all of this with great love and compassion, and yet there are far bigger things at stake here than sickness and storms and even death. I know we are probably all tired of hearing about this virus. I know I am. It's exhausting. But we need to hear this. Many of us in these past few weeks have had to face a lot of loss. A loss of what is normal. A loss of milestones as birthdays and graduations and special moments in our lives just get passed by. A loss of our Freedom to, to go out without a sense of anxiety or paranoia or constantly having to have a Clorox wipe in my pocket. A loss of, of contact. <laughs> I feel that one right now as I'm standing up here in this window looking out at all of you in your cars. And we, uh, the future may even have greater losses for some of us in this. Some of us may lose our lives here. Some of us may lose the lives of the ones we love. And we add all of this loss on top of what we are already facing in our lives before this virus even came in. These are real and deep losses. It is right to mourn and even to cry for these sorts of losses. Jesus is not callous to your pain. He tells you to cast your cares upon him because he cares about what you care about. And yet, at the same time, listen to me here, don't miss this. The hard times are not what, Je what bring Jesus to weep. There is something deeper here. So why is... Jesus weeping. Look with me. Verse 42. Well, let me back up. Verse 41. When he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, 
Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. In other words, Jerusalem had missed peace. Jerusalem had become blind. It was not able to see peace. So how is it missing the peace? Jerusalem is missing peace by rejecting Jesus. That's the real reason. That is why Jesus is sobbing, because they had rejected him. He tells us that back in chapter 13, verse 34, when he says this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers, gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. You were not willing. I tried to gather you. I tried to protect you. I tried to love you like a mama hen with her chicks underneath her, but you didn't want me. You rejected me. So now Jesus is standing before the city who has rejected him, and that rejection comes like a flood. This is a tragedy, not just because he feels bad that he's being rejected. It's not just a blow to his own ego. The tragedy is because the rejection is their loss. That God in flesh the very Prince of Peace is literally standing in front of them and they won't have him. And that broke Jesus' heart. This virus is tragic. It's tragic. People have lost their jobs, their homes, their lives. At last count, I just checked this morning, there were almost 70,000 dead and counting. Doors are being shut. People are scared. The economy is unstable, and it seems to be just the beginning. All of this is tragic. And yet, all of this is a molehill of tragedy compared to the mountainous tragedy that thousands of millions, even just one, who would reject Jesus as the Son of God. That's a tragedy that nothing else can compare to. We want to hear Jesus' cries here. Oh, if only you could see on this day the things that make for real peace. Jesus is shaking them and us now awake to the reality of God and all of his glory and all of his power and all of his holiness. And too many of us would rather roll over and turn on some noise so that we can go back to sleep into a dreamland of our own making. Is that you? Is it you? 
Have you ignored, rejected Jesus? In the midst of this virus, we hear the world calling people to work together, to be kind, to learn how to help each other. Oh, we do need those things. But we have missed it. We've missed it. We've missed our peace if all of this does not call us to God. A rejection of Jesus is far worse than anything a virus can do. Happy Palm Sunday. Let me take a breath here. I have two more things for us before we end. One is bad news, and one is good news. And we need to hear both the bad and the good together, so listen carefully here. I'll do the bad first. The bad news is this. If you think that you are immune to the infection of rejecting Jesus, you're wrong. You are not immune to this infection of rejecting Jesus. Later in Luke's Gospel, we see another strong man sobbing, which is also hard to watch. That man is Peter. Peter, Jesus' faithful disciple, you know, the famous Saint Peter. And Jesus, we see later in chapter 22, is sobbing, not because Jesus is killed, not just because his friend and his Lord is, is gone. He is sobbing because he denied that he even knew Jesus. Peter rejected him. It was just hours before the rejection, not years, not months, just hours before Peter you know, adamantly insists that he will never abandon Jesus. Even if everybody else rejects you, I will not, he says. But Jesus responds, Peter, before the sun even comes up, before you hear the rooster crow, you will deny me. Not once, not twice, three times. And that same night, while Jesus is on trial, Peter chooses his own safety over his loyalty to Jesus. Peter says, I don't know that man. I'm not part of him. And then after his third denial, he hears the rooster crow. And it hits him what he has done. And we're told that Peter weeps bitterly with great sobs. The bad news is that our sin is far greater than we know. The bad news is our sin is far greater than we know. So here's the good news. Jesus' love is far greater than we know. His love is far greater than we know. It is greater even than the depth of our sin. Jesus 
tells Peter beforehand that Peter will reject him. But he also says, Peter, you will return to me. And when you return to me, you will strengthen your brothers. And this will happen because I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. I, Jesus, have prayed for you. I am the one who will uphold you. Peter may not be willing, but Jesus is willing. Jerusalem may not be willing, but Jesus is willing. And Christian, you may not be willing, but Jesus is willing. Jesus looks right in the eye the ones who reject him, and he is still willing to bleed for them, to go to the cross for them in order to save them, so that the hosannas, the save us, will come true, so that those who put their faith in him would really be transformed into really willing and true followers of him. He is turning his very enemies into his children. We heard this earlier in our service, in the words of assurance after our confession from Romans chapter 5, that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Which means that it is good for us to see the sobs of Jesus at Jerusalem here. Because in Jesus' sobs, we see the very heart of God toward broken people. In Jesus' heaving sobs, we see the immensity of his love, of his care, of his grace, that he is willing to pay even the greatest cost to make peace with us. So trust him. Would you pray with me? Ah, Lord, would you help us uh, to see you for the peace that you are, to embrace you as our Lord and Savior? Lord, we want peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Help us to trust and to worship the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Thank you for being our great and compassionate God. You are good, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.